Exodus 21 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath the Lord for the, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor the man's, your manservant or maidservant, nor the animals nor the alien within your gate. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Exodus 20, 1 through 17. Well, thank you, Strayer family, for reading the Lord, uh, Word of God to us this morning. Uh, just wanted to clarify real quick, Joel did get the name correct during the prayer. It was Andrew Fleischer who was tragically killed yesterday, and we're uh, grieving with that family. But, uh, well, good morning. My name is Jeff Travis, and I serve as the Connections Pastor here at LEFC. And as we just heard the Ten Commandments read, we are in a series this summer called Written in Stone, Written on the Heart. And each week, we'll be working through the Ten Commandments. We are a couple weeks in. Pastor Tony did a great job of setting the context of the law. And uh, then last week, Tom, our, Tom Daly, our elder board chair, talked about the first two commandments, talking about who God is and why we can have no other gods before him and why he alone is worthy of all of our worship. So if you'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 20 and reread that section, feel free, though we will be all throughout Scripture this morning uh, as you jump into your Bibles, the ushers are coming down the aisles. If you need a Bible this morning, if you left it at home or don't own one, please just slip your hand up. They'd be happy to give you a Bible. Um, and if you do not own one, please keep it as our gift to you. If you're in the YouVersion Bible app, uh, under the Events tab, you can see, or under the Other tab, you'll see Events, and LEFC is listed right there. You'll see all of our scripture texts and points for this morning to follow along. Well... Today, I am here to unpack the third of the Ten Commandments. I'm very excited about this one, uh, though it may not seem like one to get super excited about right off the top, but let's read that again together. It's uh, Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The study of the names of God is absolutely fascinating to me, and I think that's why I get excited about this topic. Uh, but today, we're only going to get to scratch the surface of it. 
So before we jump in too far, would you pray with me as we get started? Oh, Father, it is a joy to be in your house with all these brothers and sisters this morning. And I pray that as we study your name and the significance and the meaning, the power, the holiness of it, that we would be left in awe, that we would leave here revering your name, holding it higher than any other, and that ultimately you would get all glory and praise. In your name I pray, amen. All right, well, before we jump in too far, kids, I want to welcome you in with us this morning. As Tyler said, today is a family worship Sunday. If you're new to LEFC, uh, you may not know what that is. Basically, all of our kids' men's classes um, above the age of three have been closed for the morning, and we're welcoming the kids in with us up to the teenagers, getting to worship together as not only individual families, but the church family all together. Uh, and that's just a fun way to spend a morning, right? All together before the Lord. So kids, don't forget uh, your big church bags that you grabbed on the way in. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, if you're playing along on the bingo card, I want to hear you if you get it, okay? Uh, <laughs> that's a little early probably to get bingo. That'd be pretty impressive if you already got it. Um, but for those of you adults who don't have kids and haven't looked through that bag, if you hear a kid say bingo, they're not being disrespectful. It actually means that they're engaged and following along with us. So we can celebrate that. So, what's in a name? As a fairly new parent, my oldest daughter is three years old. Uh, the picking of names for my children has been a fascinating thing for me. When my wife and I found out, Tegan, my wife and I found out that she was pregnant for the first time, we already had conversations about names that we liked. And actually, we already had a name picked out for a girl if we were going to have a daughter, which we did. But then it got real. 20 weeks into my wife's pregnancy, we went in for that ultrasound where they tell you what the gender of your child's going to be, and we found out we're having a little girl and we gave her this name, and then, man, the significance of that hit me. Like, the name that Tegan and I had just chosen was the name that this kid was going to be stuck with for the rest of her life, and she had no say in the matter. If you've had kids, you understand that process of getting there. Um, it was pretty easy with our first kid. I'll talk about that for, uh, in a moment. But the second kid, we struggled for a long time to get the name. But uh, we named our first daughter Cecilia Elise. There's going to be a picture of Cece on the screen here. Uh, this is, she is three years old. This is uh, just a couple weeks ago. She got to be the flower girl in her uncle, my brother's wedding. Um, so that was a lot of fun. But we chose this name, Cecilia, actually when we were still engaged. Tegan and I were at a concert together, and we were seeing one of our favorite bands. And this artist's most popular song is called Cecilia and the Satellite. As Before he went into this song, he kind of stopped and shared why he wrote this song to his own daughter, Cecilia, while he was out touring, putting on shows. And it just it was very heartfelt. It struck a chord within my wife and I. It was a name that we had already liked. Um, and it gave the song more meaning for us. But at the same time, it also gave us kind of a special moment between the two of us thinking about a future daughter together. So... Uh, for those of you who may have been wondering for the past three years, no, we did not name our daughter after Jim and Pam's daughter, Cece, from The Office, or the character from New Girl. It is a totally different name uh, from those. Cecilia's middle name is Elise. 
And Elise was inspired by one of Tegan's close college friends, actually one of her roommates as well, who tragically passed away shortly after they graduated together. So between the experience of choosing the name Cecilia and the person that we were honoring by naming her middle name Elise, this name, Cecilia Elise, holds special meaning to us. But today we're going to also look at the names of God. And there's even more special meaning to that, power in his name. And that's what we're going to jump into. All right, kids, I need your help for a minute. We're going to do a little activity. And I know that when you normally come in on Family Worship Sunday... Your parents tell you, hey, when the pastor gets up to preach, make sure you're quiet. Don't, don't draw attention to yourself, right? Well, this is your opportunity to not listen to that. Just for a moment, listen to your parents, but you get permission from me for a couple of moments to make some noise here. I need some answers. I'm going to ask a question. Um, if you don't answer, it's going to get super awkward and we'll go with it. But uh, we had some good feedback in the first service, so we'll see if you guys can keep up. Uh, I need to know some of the names that you have ever heard for God. So obviously God is this big name that we talk about, but think back to your time in children's ministry or reading the Bible with your parents. What are some other names that we use for God? If you get any Greek or Hebrew, get bonus points. We actually had two of them in first service. But go ahead. What are some other names for God? Just shout them out. Yahweh. Yahweh. There's a great Hebrew one. What else? Jesus. I heard another one up there I couldn't quite make out. Lord? Yeah, Emmanuel. Wow, you... Messiah. Yeah, you guys got some great ones. Thank you. That is really helpful. You got a whole bunch, actually a couple that I'm about to put up on the screen. You guys could just come up here and do this for me. So, obviously, we just heard a whole bunch of these names of God, but would you believe that there are literally, <laughs> there are literally hundreds of names for God or variations of names for God throughout the Bible? In English, we kind of have our big four that we use, right? We've got God, Jesus, Lord, and Christ. So there are more, but not the hundreds upon hundreds that we find in the Hebrew text. Now, as a quick disclaimer, I also understand that Lord is more of a title than a name. But when we look in our English translations, the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh is translated, translated as Lord. So we're going to go with that as a name for today. Each name that was ascribed to God in the Old Testament had significant meaning to it. The names that they would use for God were descriptive of character traits, qualities that he had held since, well, forever, since he is eternal. So there's going to be a list of some of his names on the screen. Now, again, I said there's hundreds of these names, and this is clearly not comprehensive. There's less than 10 of them up there. But I want to step through these just for a moment to look at some of these qualities of God that we worship. The first, Yahweh means to be or to exist. God has always existed. You may have also heard it said as Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah. This name for God, or a version of it, is used over 6,800 times in our Bible. Since God has always been, has always existed, that means that there is no one or no thing that could ever have created God. He is the preeminent one. Later in the Bible, Jesus uses the same root word for this name, I am, when he makes his seven I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. By using these statements, 
Jesus is equating himself with God, calling himself God, and stepping into these qualities that he has always had, being one with the Father. So some of these other names, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord provides, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace, El Shaddai, Almighty God, El Olam, the everlasting God, Adonai, Master over all, and Emmanuel, God with us. So great job, kids, on getting a whole bunch of those, even without me prompting you. So the, the meaning of names was especially understood in Old Testament times. If we look at some of the characters in the Old Testament, we have, nice work, we have Jacob, means the one who supplants or the grabbing the heel. God changed his name to Israel, which means let God provide. He, we have Abram, who God changed his name to Abraham, uh, telling of the promises that God was going to give to Abraham to become the father of many nations, and that came true. So just as the names of God's people hold meaning, the names of God hold even more. So this morning, we sang a number of songs that talk about the names of God. There was one in there that didn't specifically mention the name of God, but it used a name of him. That was Rock of Ages. God is our rock. This is another name we have for him in Rock of Ages. And he ha so he has been our rock for ages past. This name, Rock of Ages, alludes to the unchanging nature of who our God is. Now, I'm going to make a really obvious statement, my duh statement of the morning. Ready? Rocks are hard, right? You would all agree with me? That's not groundbreaking scientific discovery this morning? Thank you. First amen on rocks are hard. That's a good, good start. Now, ho hopefully that's not all of that you get from my message this morning, but because rocks are hard, they hold up for a long, long, long time. Only other powerful forces can change the shape of rocks. There's going to be a picture of Mount Rushmore up on the screens. I'm sure you recognize this. These faces were carved into the rock back in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. Some, so some of, these, some of this work is coming up on a century ago. Incredibly, these are still recognizable, intact. If you were to drive to the national park out there in South Dakota today and drive up to this rock face, you can fully expect to still see these faces carved into the rock. They have held up over time. Now, God is our unchanging rock and our foundation. Each of the names of God that we just talked about, along with the hundreds of others that are found in Scripture, are still accurate and honoring names that we can still use for our God today. So because God hasn't changed, because, or because God hasn't changed, he is still our provider. He is still peace. He is still almighty over all. And he is still with us. The names that were ascribed to God by the ancient Israelites are still as true of him today as they were of him then. One of my favorite authors is a man by the name of A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer wrote on the immutability of God. Now, I know immutability is a really big theological word to use, especially when there's kids in the room for Family Worship Sunday. But essentially what it means is that God cannot and does not change. So I have two excerpts from one of his books that I would like to read. 
Uh, since he has thought through this far more than I have, and he can write way more eloquently than I can speak. So here, they'll be on the screen. There, there is some depth to these quotes, so follow along and process with me as I read. God cannot change for the better. Since he is perfectly holy, he has never been less holy than he is now, and can never be holier than he is and has always been. Neither can God change for the worse. Any deterioration within the unspeakably holy nature of God is impossible. Indeed, I believe it impossible to even think such a thing. For the moment we attempt to do so, the object about which we are thinking is no longer God, but something else and someone less than he. The one of whom we are thinking may be a great and awesome creature, but because he is a creature, he cannot be the self-existent creator. In just a moment, we're going to talk a little bit more about the holiness of God and why that is so important when we talk about revering his name. But looking at this quote, at first glance, it's a little startling. God cannot change for the better. I'm sure most of you would be there with me that we all want to change for the better, right? We know our flaws and shortcomings, and there are things that we would like to be better about ourselves. But upon further reflection, knowing that God always has been just as good and just as holy as he could ever be is actually really assuring. God, for eternity past, and will for eternity to come, always be ultimately good and holy. Let's look at the second quote from A.W. Tozer. God never changes moods or cools off in his affections or loses enthusiasm. His attitude towards sin is now the same as it was when he drove the sinful man from the eastward garden, and his attitude toward the sinner the same as when he stretched forth his hands and cried, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy bladen, and I will give you rest. God's attitude toward your sin and the grace that extends will always hold true. We can rest in that. So God does experience emotion. By him not changing is not invalidating the fact that he shows emotion. But it does mean that his emotions won't change. He will always be angry about sin. But he is also always filled with grace and love and compassion towards us. Therefore, he cannot and does not change. So God's name is a big deal. It hasn't and won't change. It holds immense meaning. Now, there is also power in his name. Yes, we know that God himself is powerful, but that same power is held within his name. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Now, I don't think that anybody would ever say, the name of Jeff is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. There is nothing reassuring in times of desperation about my name for you, Jeff, right? None of you find comfort in my name. But God's name, that's different. We can't literally and physically run to God in times of need because we experience his presence and spirit here on earth. But we can call on his name and experience the power that is held within it. 
There are all kinds of worship songs where we talk about, we call on his name for this. Example, one that we sing here a lot. I need you, Lord, I need you. This song illustrates the calling on the Lord when we are in need. Think back to that list of names that was on the screen. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord provides. Or Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. Those are characteristics of God that I need daily. The promises of peace and provision that are spoken and held in his name. In the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 2, 6 through 11, Paul quotes a creed or hymn that early Christ followers would have recited. Verses 9 through 10 say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, at the name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And not just every human knee. This clearly implies that even within the spiritual realm, every knee will bow. This includes spiritual beings for who for the entirety of human history, for, for created history, have battled against God and his authority. The work of Christ on the cross and through his resurrection was the single most powerful event in history, and all of that power is held within his name. His name will be spoken, and all will revere it. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I'm on his side and that his name does hold so much power. So, clearly, there is something different about his name, about the name of God. It is set apart from any other name. The name of God is clearly different than the name of Jeff or any of your names. To be set apart is the definition of holiness. The holiness of God is critical to our understanding of the power of his name. Up to this point, we've established that God's name and character don't change and that it's a powerful name. So how does this tie into the commandment that we read earlier, that you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God? Well, I think holiness is the answer to that. Because God is set apart above all humanity and every being in the spiritual realm, he and his name are to be revered. And we often don't do a very good job of that. Would you turn with me to Malachi chapter 2, last book in the Old Testament, We'll be in Malachi 2, 1 through 9. I'll give you a moment to turn there. All right, Malachi 2, 1 through 9. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty." My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. 
This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned, away, turned from the way by your teaching, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. <clears throat> so this passage is a warning to the priests, but before you dismiss it as, as irrelevant for us today, remember last week Tom talked about us being a royal priesthood. Christ is our high priest, and we have a special calling as his people. So while we are now under the new covenant of grace, the heart of this passage is no less true. God does not take the use of his name any less likely in 2022 than he did in the time of Malachi the prophet. So I think we need to heed this warning. Let's play a little would you rather based on this passage from Malachi. So here it is. Would you rather walk at the side of God in peace and uprighteousness or have dung smeared on your face and have your children be punished? I'm pretty sure we'd 100% all be on the same side of that one without having to think too hard. Probably the easiest would you rather you've ever thought through in your life. But what do these two con uh, consequences represent? Standing in reverence and awe of the name of the Lord. God tells the priests that if they do not resolve to honor his name, he will curse them and any of the good things that they have. Even their children will face hardship because their parents did not honor and respect the name of God. But then this is contrasted with Levi, the high priest. Levi did honor the name of the Lord. It says that he stood in awe at the name of God. As a result, he walked in peace and was able to shepherd many away from their sin. So let's get practical about this. How do we stand in reverence and awe of the name of the Lord? I can tell you pretty quickly how we don't. Oh my God, oh Lord, Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but if I did, I'm sure there would be quite a few of you who maybe even this week, this weekend, would have used one of those as an exclamatory or as an expletive or just in daily conversation, maybe without even realizing it. One of these is a little bit sneakier than the others. As I listen to Christians talk, we do a fairly good job of avoiding, oh my God, or using Jesus' name as an expletive. But, oh Lord, seems to have slipped under the radar a little bit. It's become an acceptable phrase just to drop in everyday language. Why? What do you actually mean when you're using that phrase? In the moment, are you really concerned enough about that situation that you're in to call on the Lord to intervene? Or have you diminished the power of the name of the Lord by just flippantly throwing into everyday speech? Or maybe you would argue that you're not referring to the capital L Lord, who is God, but if that's the case, then what in your life have you given high enough value that you would give it the title of Lord? I might be stepping on some toes here, but this is serious. 
the name of God is to be revered, and God takes his name very seriously. I think if we, going back to Malachi 2, started smearing manure on people's faces who misuse his name, even unintentionally, just because that's how we talk, we'd get this under control pretty quickly. (laughs) Ultimately, when we misuse the name of the Lord so flippantly, we are putting ourselves on the throne and knocking God off. This is a significant lack of reverence. I read from Philippians chapter 2 earlier. It's that hymn or creed that Paul quoted. Just before that section that I read, uh, he writes in verses 6 through 8, who, referring to Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus himself, who was God, still humbled himself before God and came, when he came and paid with your, for your life with his own. He understood the holiness of God and desired to make much of his Father. So Jesus is our ultimate role model. As he builds this new heart within us, our desires begin to align with his And that begins with giving God and his name ultimate honor, praise, respect, and due. Now, this flies in the face of the world. Culture tells us, pursue your own greatness. Put yourself first. When we revere the name of the Lord, we're setting aside our own ambitions for the sake of making much of God. So again, how do we do this? I think it would be pretty easy to just stop here with an understanding of the reverence and the power of the name of God, but we need to go one step further. Holding the name of God in reverence does not just mean avoiding its misuse as commanded in Exodus chapter 20. It also means speaking his name. Speak Jesus. Why would we want to keep that power hidden? If we're truly about being on mission together for Jesus Christ, And we know that at at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, then we'll use his name. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples. When they return, they are giddy. They're full of joy, it says in in this chapter in Luke 10. They come to Jesus and say, Lord, in your name, even the demons submitted to us. They had never seen anything like this before. But A couple books later, we see a different story. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 19? We'll be in verses 13 to 20. Acts 19, 13 to 20. Acts 19, 13 to 20. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. 
He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. We don't use drachmas as currency anymore, but after first service, someone came up to me and said they did some quick math. A drachma is equivalent to like a, a, a salary for, now I'm going to blank on it in my, <laughs> about a year, right? A year's, a day, a day's wages. There we go, I got it. A day's wages. He did some quick uh, math on that with the 50,000 scrolls burned, that's equivalent of about $13 million. Can you imagine if we destroyed $13 million worth of stuff for the sake of the name of the Lord? That's incredible. That definitely made some news in Ephesus. So the people in New Testament times had seen firsthand the power that Jesus' name held through the disciples as they humbly did miracles in Jesus' name. They cast out demons, and sick people were healed in his name. However, as we see in Acts 19, the sons of Sceva tried to use his name in power and failed miserably, to the extent where they got beat up and had to run away naked and bleeding in front of all these people that they were trying to impress. These men, being sinful, sought power for themselves in Jesus' name, and they experienced a pretty wild consequence for its misuse. But then we see the community at large, whether they were Christ followers or not in Ephesus, held Jesus in high regard after this incident. This ties back to what Tom preached on last week. Remember that term syncretism that he used? Syncretism is allowing other things to pollute the place that God has in our lives. Maybe we can say that, yeah, we put God first, but is he all? Tom used the example of a sink. You fill it with clean, pure water. It looks really good, but then you throw in a dirty dish or two, and it loses its luster. It's no longer pure. The fullness of God is all that we need in our lives. But we start adding things. And God slowly loses his place that we once gave him. The sons of Sceva might have had good intentions. We don't know. They were the sons of the priest. But regardless of what their intentions started as, at this point, they had selfish ambitions that were getting in the way, and they were looking for personal power in the name of Jesus. So let this passage be both a spur to action and a warning. Read Scripture daily. Look for places throughout the word of God for how his name is used to do incredible things for the kingdom. But also be careful. Watch your speech. Eliminate the flippant and expletive use of God's name or the selfish desire to use his name for your own gain. And then speak his name with confidence. His name holds as much power today as it did for Abraham. It still holds as much power today as it did for the disciples. Use Jesus' name in power. Speak Jesus. Yeah. Was he in a time of uh, 
reflection here as we just think about the way that we use our words, the, the, the things that we speak. Uh, just reflect on what James has to say. He says, with, our, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. As we consider for, for, for evil or, or for good, the power that our words have and, and what we speak, the, the, certainly the encouragement here is to speak Jesus, to speak the name. For all of that, it for the encouragement, for the healing that's found in it, and we're going to introduce a song right now that that speaks exactly to that. So as we sing, uh, I would, you know, encourage you to to take it in, to listen, to to reflect on these words, but certainly, at some point, we do want you to to join us in declaring these things before the Lord and to one another. Okay, so we're going to sing as we finish up this morning.
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Just stand and join us in declaring that. Your name is power, your name is healing, 
Your name is life. As you go this week, revere his name. Be aware of the times you may absentmindedly let it drop into everyday conversation and dishonor him. In all you do, honor God and honor his name. But don't let today cause hesitation about using the name of God. Just as we sang, speak Jesus. Speak Jesus in your oikos, those people that God has supernaturally placed within your sphere of influence. His name has the power to move mountains, the power to heal the sick, the power to give life to us who deserve death. I want to challenge you, go home and go deeper. In your bulletin, there's a discussion guide. Maybe your life group uses this, great. But as a family worshiping here today, go continue this conversation over lunch. And finally, if you need prayer this morning or you want to talk to somebody about who this Jesus is, you have questions, please come talk to those of us down front. There's going to be people back in our encounter room to my left, your right in the back corner. We would love to have these conversations and pray with you. So thank you so much for being here with us today. We loved worshiping together. You are dismissed. Happy 4th.